Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Welsh Derby to my West London Derby. It's Justin Peach. Good afternoon. Justin, it has been an interesting couple of days with the playoffs. We now know who our finalists are. Brentford or Fulham are going to be getting to the Premier League. How excited are you for the playoff final next Tuesday? I don't know. I feel like I'm more excited than I have been in the past. I don't know why. I, I think it's because the the, the final coming up uh, and the way the, the semi-finals have been, I think have just exuberated the, the excitement because what a final we've got coming up. Uh, it's going to be I'm, an exciting final. They're two. The, you'd probably say um, <clears throat> they are overall the two better sides I think that's fair to say Cardiff and Swansea have um, been the form teams going into the playoffs but Mm -hmm. they've managed to be outdone really by ultimately the two sides who have the best quality well they're third and fourth aren't they and they're third and fourth because they've been more consistent throughout the season and perhaps that showed a little bit um, going into these semi-finals Mm. and we didn't know which way it was going to end up but it has ended up going the most predictable way boring but either way we now have our playoff final set up but first before we get on to that a bit later on let's talk about the actual games Justin we'll start off with Brentford versus Swansea that finished 3-1 now going into this game we were thinking oh Brentford aren't playing very well Mm -hmm. Swansea are the form team and it looked like we could be seeing the Swans in the playoff final but Mm -hmm. Brentford Bizarrely, they just seem to flick a switch and turn it back on again because this was the Brentford side that we've seen for the best parts of this season, isn't it? No, absolutely. I think it was a, a Brentford side that felt hard done by. Maybe a bit of a, a bee in their bonnet. The bees. I get it. Yeah. You like that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've lost track now. No, they, they they were good. And as I say, they perhaps there was an air of frustration in, in their um, their mindset, which meant... They were pretty pissed off. They wanted to put, they wanted to right the wrongs of the last couple of weeks and 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 shut people up and also, you know, do one over Swansea after what happened on on Sunday, and they came out with intention, with aggression, and ultimately that's that's what's won them the game. Yeah. How, why do you think Brentford have been playing so poorly in the past three games, and then here they've just turned up? It's as simple as that. They've just turned up and played really well. Um, <clears throat> perhaps it's an air of running out of steam. I don't think they were terrible against Stoke. They just couldn't find a way through. They weren't at their usual best and they conceded a sloppy goal. Um, they they weren't at their best against Barnsley either, but Barnsley were on another level in terms of needing to, to get the win. So perhaps that sort of edged it in that sense. But you know, the, the first leg on Sunday, they were relatively poor. They couldn't get a handle on midfield. And um, obviously, Marcondes coming in gave Brentford a bit more going forward, and I think that's what that that slight switch perhaps, you know, gave them a little bit more. Um, and as I say, that that uh, that attacking intention, you heard it in Thomas Frank's pre-match press conference, uh, yeah, pre-match press conferences, how convinced he was that they were going to get the win. And I think mm. you have that air of confidence; you have to have some faith in your side. Yeah, well, he said before the game, we're going to win. 
which is very bold. It's a very bold claim to make, but he ended up being right. What he knew <laughs> for him, for for him to have that confidence, I have no idea. But it ultimately paid off. The one thing that really stood out to me was we were talking about uh, in the last episode how uh, Swansea's midfield were mm-hmm. the better in the first leg, and that ultimately seemed to be the foundation for why Swansea won the game. But in this game. It was the opposite story where Brentford's yep. midfield dominated proceedings. And in, in Matthias Jensen in particular was someone who really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. It was a superb ball for the Ollie Watkins oh, goal. God. But after that, he dominated the game, as did Norgard and Mark Hondes, who um, seemed to give Brentford a bit more life than Justice Silva did in the first leg. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think um, Steve Cooper making the changes at half-time sort of told you exactly where Swansea were at and I think it was you know the first leg I'm not going to say it was a fluke but Brentford weren't at it allowed Swansea to control it a little bit more than they, they should have and um, that's probably what swung the, the first leg and as I said Brentford weren't going to allow that again they made the change they forced Swansea into changes and that's testament of a good team and I think I think you know Swansea just caught Brentford on on a, on a bad day in the sense that they're in a mood they wanted to shut people up and then they went for the win as best as they could, as ruthless yeah. as they could. We've got to mention the interesting <clears throat> decision from Pontus Janssen for the Swansea goal. <laughs> um, at the time, I had no idea what on earth he was doing. And I've watched it a couple of times back, Justin, and I still have no idea what he was no. doing. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, well, it must be his first error this season, but I, that's, that's, he's got, he has that in his locker. He, he can be a bit of a moron sometimes, can't he? Well, it is kind of expected, isn't it, when someone is as much of a leader as him and he's on the ball all the time. Yeah. That I suppose these kind of things do happen, but at the same time, I've no idea what he was thinking. Because as a centre-back, there aren't many occasions <coughs> where a back heel is a good option. But when a you've half got... A half-volley back heel. A half-volley back heel is a good idea. But when you've got one of the hottest strikers in the championship, hot on your tail, it's definitely not a good idea. And Rian Brewster made him pay. Um, in form, by the way. What'd I say? Hottest. Well, he's, he's, you know, in hot form. He's still... Yeah, All right. You know what I mean. Not not level of attraction, then. That's fine. Oh, Jesus, Justin, come on. <laughs> We're above that on this podcast. Yeah. Um, but overall... Brentford are going to the playoff final, as we know. We'll talk about them a bit later on. But Swansea, it is a disappointing end to the season. Obviously, they were a bit surprised that they got here in the first place. But how would you sum up Swansea's season as a whole? I'd give it <clears throat> I'd give it an 8 out of 10. We said Graham Potter's season last season was a success. And he, you could argue he had a bit more on his, you know, at his disposal with Ollie McBurney, um, players like that. Um, Van der Horn's been injured here and there this season so is Joe Roden obviously he's not started much um, recently and you've got to say they've had a very very good season a very very good season I don't think there's any way you can uh, you, you can describe it you know Steve Cooper's had a lot to do more than you think and it's gone it's gone under the radar I think he's had one of the more difficult jobs in the league this season and to get them to sixth place to, to win the first leg and you know make Brentford nervous in the second leg the job they've done, uh, job he's done is magnificent, and the season they've had has is, is been great. Yeah, and it's a fairly young Swansea side as well, isn't it? The, the one thing that concerns me heading into next season is 
who's going to be left over because Van der Horn doesn't look like he'll be staying. AU, you don't know whether he's going to stay. And then obviously Brewster, Gallagher, mm-hmm. they're players who are only on loan. Uh, Freddie Woodman's another one. There have been talks about him coming back, but not too sure if that's happening or not. Mulder has now gone. So you're left with quite a threadbare squad. It's still a very good squad. I mean, Gurry's staying for um, next season. And then you've got Joe Roden, who comes back from injury. Cabango's been class as well. Grimes. I'm naming all these players, but still, they're a squad that needs numbers as well as quality, aren't they? Mm -hmm. So that's something that's going to be quite tricky for Steve Cooper to address over the next month or so isn't it no definitely but I think one of the 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 gifts Steve Cooper has is identifying young talent that that is going to fit into his squad uh, and and perform because what he's done you know Cabango for example since the lockdown he's been absolutely superb you know you could you almost forgotten about players like Wilmot Joe Roden uh, because Cabango's form has has been good and I think he's going to get the best out of players coming through and I think his contacts I wouldn't be surprised to see more loan signings come that are very, very talented. So I think I think they'll be fine in terms of recruitment. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he dipped into the loan market again. That seems to be the main source of recruitment, really, for Swansea, doesn't it? Let's go talk about the uh, Fulham-Cardiff game then. This was a very good game, wasn't it, Justin? Oh, yeah. Uh, the two moments that stood out for me were, first off, Tom Kearney's free kick. <laughs> yeah. Where he slipped on his arse and... It nearly went out for a throw-in. And then the other moment was Josh Anoma's attempt at time-wasting, where uh-huh. he <laughs> held onto the ball, uh, he fell to the ground as if he was hurt, and then Joe Bennett stood on his foot, and then suddenly Anoma's back up, squaring up to him. Good stuff. Massive fan of that. Yeah, but you- talking about this game as a whole, what did you make of it? I thought it was a good game, and I thought I, I really think Cardiff were unlucky not to get the win. Um you know, conceding so quickly after scoring, getting yourself back into the game uh, would have been such a massive sucker punch for Cardiff. Um, and that's that's probably what's lost in this tie is that Cabano goal, 24 seconds or something after after Nelson putting them one up because um, it just left them with a bit too much to do. But nonetheless, they I thought they were superb. Yeah, man for man, they were, they were great. Um, as I say, just really, really unlucky and you know, Fulham, Brentford will be looking a little because Fulham looked shaky at times. They did. I thought Cardiff were the better side. Would you agree? Massively. No, yeah. Yeah, monumentally. I thought they were great. And every set piece, every throw, and I genuinely thought Cardiff had a 70% chance at the very least of scoring. Mm. They were, we say this quite often about quite a few <clears> teams <throat> in the Championship, but they were lacking something up front, I thought. The the front three of Hoyler, Ward, Murphy. I don't know why Danny Ward started. It's a very weird decision. He, he's only started like two games this season. He's yeah. made most of his appearances off the bench. So I didn't understand that at all. Um, and then Murphy, he's had a frustrating season and he he's always lacked the, that consistency, hasn't he? And he's not shown it here. Hoyler is pretty much the same. So I didn't understand that front three. And they could have just used someone who has that cutting edge in the final third. Someone like Lee Tomlin, I don't think he was fit enough to start this game, but that was the main thing that's held them back here, wasn't it? It's probably what's held them back all season. It's just they lacked, they have lacked a cutting edge. Robert Glatzel, mm. it's taken him some time to settle in and get used to the championship. Um, but his form since lockdown has been good. And I think going into next season, he's going to be a, a very dangerous striker for a lot of teams. But as I say, I thought 
that's that's the one thing that's probably let them down all season is just lacking a bit of quality in the final third. I think Mendes Lang uh, is a very good player at this level. His crossing ability is fantastic, um, and that's you know perhaps he, he him starting would have been the way forward. Although the impact he had when he came on was was great, but as you say, they just they have lacked consistency out wide, which unfortunately is is the reason why they maybe lost this game. The thing that stands out to me in the in the last few games is that Cardiff's defence, midfield, goalkeeper have all been great and then it is the final three, the attacking trio, who just haven't been as good as those guys. So that's definitely something to look to for the future. But you can't take anything away from Neil Harris, can you? Because no. when he got appointed after Neil Warnock got sacked or walked away from the job... I don't think I ever envisaged Cardiff getting into the playoffs. And here we are, they finished fifth, for God's sake, and nearly got to the playoff final. He has done a magnificent job, hasn't he? No, I, I said it when he got appointed. I think it was a, a really good appointment. Um, he's an underrated manager in the sense that I think people just you know, liken him to Route 1 football, but he's, he's much more tactically switched on than that the set pieces for example every set piece they were a danger and that, that takes a lot of organisation um, uh, to do and getting the best out of the players like Glatzel Will Volks Joe Rawls Joe Rawls has been unbelievable since the restart again another player has gone under the radar that's a good that's a sign of a good manager and he's still quite young for a manager and he's got a lot to a lot to learn but you know getting Cardiff into the playoffs is a, again is a massive achievement considering where they were yeah and they'll look at this game and think <clears throat> it's disappointing that we didn't get to the playoff final. But ultimately, we've had a very good season and it's something to build on heading into next season, isn't it? Right, let's talk about the playoff final, Justin, in just a sec, because this is the end of part one. In part two, we'll get on to the big game. If you could see us recording, you would notice that Justin and I generally wear a different football shirt almost every week. There's nothing that fuels nostalgia more than an old football shirt. And guess where you can get them? ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk Absolutely. I spent plenty of money there and got myself some cracking purchases. Just recently, I started sporting an AZ Outmar training shirt and a Hoffenheim training jumper. So pretty different. Exactly that. And it's not just football shirts. You can get training wear, footballs, boots and match-worn stuff from former pros. There genuinely is something for everyone, no matter which side you support. So find what you're looking for at classicfootballshirts.co.uk or visit them in-store in either London or Manchester. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Right, let's talk about the playoff final, Justin. We'll, talk, we'll start with Fulham because we didn't really talk about them too much in the last segment. But there are definitely a few alarm bells in my head going about how not great Fulham were. No, as I said about Cardiff, I thought Cardiff were great. But the, the Fulham, I mean, if there were fans in the stadium they would have been on the backs, I imagine, because they just struggle to control the game at times. Um, Fulham were, uh, Cardiff, sorry, were uh, attacking uh, uh, almost every single phase of attack. It, it was it was Cardiff, and as I said, they, Fulham just struggled to get a hold on the game, and Michael Hector and Tim Ream didn't inspire any confidence. They were bailed out a few times by Marek Rodak. That save from the, um, there's a there's a volley, I can't remember who it was, Yes, but Rodak tipped it over the bar, and it's like, 
unbelievable save. I had no right to save it, but again, poor marking from a set piece is what got them into that situation. I think you're spot on, even though <clears throat> Fulham had 60% possession. But at the end of the day, every time Cardiff got on the ball, it looked like something was going to happen. And yeah. Fulham looked a bit worried about what was going to happen. It seemed like the nerves got to them a bit. And obviously nerves in a playoff semi-final when you are leading, they're understandable. But it doesn't inspire confidence heading into a game where we look like we've got the old Brentford back. Um, but as you mentioned, the two centre-backs, Reem, Hector, they've been two of Fulham's best players in recent weeks as well because they've looked so solid defensively, but they were a bit shaky. And then going into the game on Tuesday, they've got to deal with the best attack in the division. So how do you stop that if you are Scott Parker? <clears throat> I mean, I think um, as direct as Cardiff are, that's probably why they were as shaky, uh, why Hector and Rima were as shaky as they were, um, because they, they caused trouble at every opportunity. Um, perhaps playing Brentford might suit those two a bit more, but the, the tactical switch of the four two three from a four three three to a four two three one has probably helped Fulham a lot more. They're a bit more balanced. Um Kearney isn't as reliant on going forward. Harrison Reed does a great job as a box to box midfielder as the second midfielder and obviously Onima is just in front of them and I think that, that lends them a bit more. They're a bit more structured, a bit less fluid than they were and that almost gets the best out of knockout as well. So I think tactically that, that switch will mean the game's a lot closer than perhaps it would have been four or five weeks ago. Yeah, Bobby Reed has played up front in the two playoff games and mm-hmm. despite Fulham winning the first leg, he's not really played very well in either leg, has he? No. So whether Mitrovic comes back in could be crucial to Fulham, couldn't it? Because he's bailed them out so many times this season. Well, this is it. Is he going to be fit? Cabano went off with a knock as well. Um, and he's been brilliant last three, four games. Um, so there are more, there are more worries for Fulham going into this game than there are for Brentford. Um, you know, the injury worries to their best player and their most informed player, you know, raises questions and concerns. The thing is as well, Brentford have beaten Fulham twice this season and not even conceded a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw last season with, as you'll fondly remember, Derby Leeds, where Leeds beat Derby twice in the league and then in the first leg of the playoffs. Um, and then Derby turned it around. Do you think the results earlier in the season between these two sides, do they have any effects in the playoff final? No, not at all. It's, it's a one-off game. Same as the playoffs. They're detached from the league. You know, form goes out the window, as the cliche is. Um, you know, it's all about how you react on the day. Uh, Cardiff, for example, reacted really well um, yesterday in the game. Fulham struggled. It's things like that. It's it's one. It's a, they're all one-off games in a way. Um, all tied together. Um, so I don't think previous games have any impact on on a final or the semi final. It's going to be interesting, isn't it? Because we, the two sides really, that when they turn it on, they really turn it on. But when they don't turn it on, it's really quite poor. Yeah. So it could very well be a case of whoever turns up in the final. Both sides have shown signs of shakiness in the playoffs and maybe letting the pressure get to them, uh, Fulham in the second leg and then Brentford in the first leg. So, 
it's a cliche, but it's about it's about who deals with the pressure, isn't it? No, absolutely. And <clears throat> at times, Brentford, you know, for example, the eight game winning streak, handling that pressure of, you know, having to win and win and win and win is, you know, they reacted a lot better than, than Fulham did. Um, for example, I know Fulham did turn it on in the end, but it took him two or three games to get going. Um, so as you say, it, it just depends who deals with it better on the day. You know, and as you say, these te- these teams are both teams with so much quality in their sides. Um, but as well as that, they can sometimes not turn it on and it can be a poor game, um, which obviously as a neutral, we're not hoping for. We want we want it to be 3-3, three, 4-3, three, three, etc. We want goals and we want swashbuckling attacks, but I don't think you get that in a playoff final. So it will be interesting to see how they set up. I'm getting the sense, Justin, we're both slightly swaying towards Brentford. Is that fair to say? If Mitrovic was um, 100% fit and Cabano was 100% fit, obviously I don't know the extent of his injury or his knock, then, you know, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't, it'd be more even. Um, It'd be harder to call. But the fact that they're both possibly doubts just makes it a bit harder to, to call. And as you say, it's just about who deals with the pressure. And obviously Brentford, they're full, they're at full strength. Um, they're coming off the back of a really good, impactful win. You do edge towards Brentford. And the the thing is as well, if Mitrovic isn't 100% fit, but he's good enough to go, then you could end up sending out a Mitrovic who's at 75%. And you don't necessarily want that, even though he is so good. Because we've seen in the past players rushed back and <clears throat> they've just not really performed. Ignoring the striker situation for a sec, Justin... If Fulham were to win, what do they have to do to try and get the better of Brentford? Um, it's an interesting question. I think you know Brentford have struggled against teams that have played a low block, but are then on the on the flip side, playing Barnsley, Barnsley were pressing and pressing and pressing. So it's, it's very hard. I, I don't think Parker's style of play could particularly exploit. Brentford, you're almost relying on individual quality to get you through, and that's that might be a bit a bit critical um, towards Scott Parker and Fulham. But there's a lot of individual quality in this Fulham side. If Mitrovic is is, is fit, 75% Mitrovic, I think, is better than De- uh, uh, Bobby Decker Reed at the moment. Um, he's a player who can score one goal, and they can shut up shop quite easily. So I, I don't think it's going to be separated by much. So it's just going to take that one minute of quality and, Brent and Fulham have got a lot of it. I'd agree. It's probably not going to be separated by much. I think the best thing that Fulham could do is just do what they've done for quite a few times this season. That's just keep hold of the ball and starve Brentford. Yeah, starve Brentford of possession. Then when you do lose the ball, make sure you keep it tight and make sure that Ream and Hector have the games of their lives because they're going to be so important to keeping Brentford out at the end of the day. And... I think maybe if they just keep a narrow kind of setup, it might be enough to keep Brentford out. But on the flip side, Justin, if you're Thomas Frank, what's going to be key for Brentford securing the win? Hitting Fulham on counter-attacks. You know, <clears throat> I think Fulham are, as I said, a lot more structured now than they were um, before this, this poor run of form, uh, before, before the good run of form. Um, you know, they switched to a four-two-three-one, which means they don't commit as many bodies going forward but then again they've got players like Joe Bryan Cyrus Christie two very attacking fullbacks there's spacing behind there to exploit um, and I think 
players like Ben Rama, who don't help out defensively a lot. They stay they stay high up the pitch. Watkins does a lot of that sort of um, pressing duty. There's space in behind this this Fulham defence, um, and you expect Brentford to exploit it tactically. They're they're switched on. They they sacrifice possession against Swansea. They'll do the same against Fulham. And Ollie Watkins has shown plenty of times this season that if you give him space behind the defence, he will punish you. In fact, all the front three for Brentford will punish you, won't they? Justin, we're getting towards the end of this. It's that time. If I had to try and get a score prediction from you, which way are you heading? Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say nil nil uh, after ninety minutes. Ooh, okay. See, that doesn't happen very often, does it? We don't really see many no. draws in playoff I, finals. I, I, I hope to God it's not a Huddersfield Reading final. That was a terrible um, final. Yeah, um, but I, I, I think it will be nil nil after ninety minutes, and then perhaps uh, Brentford putting them one nil up and winning one nil. I fancy Brentford two one. I know I said there aren't going to be many goals, but I think it's going to be tight, whatever the case. And it could just be very much a case of Brentford turning up on the day and taking Fulham apart. I've put my I've put my um, eggs in one basket. I'm ready for the Fulham backlash. But there we go. But, but saying that, I expect a, bra- a backlash from Brentford because the amount of times we've predicted certain things for them and they're going <laughs> absolutely tits up. So That's true. we apologise in advance. Good luck. We apologise in advance to both sides. Justin, I'm so looking forward to Tuesday. It's the one game of the year that I just can't help but get ridiculously excited about. It's like our Christmas day, isn't it? Uh, yeah, in a way. <laughs> Except mean, better than Christmas. Yeah, it is better than Christmas. I mean, even even if it's Derby involved, it's such an exciting day. Um, and usually it's very sunny. And it just epitomises summer, the player final. It's a bit disappointing that it's not on a bank holiday for once. But nonetheless, it is a time when heroes and villains are made. And I can't bloody wait, Justin. Just before we go, we have our awards show on Sunday, where we'll be picking out our player of the year, manager of the year, young player of the year, team of the season. We have all the awards there for you, ladies and gentlemen. So make sure you listen on Sunday. It's going to be a great listen. I can assure you of that. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Make me feel all right.